You are listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church. I've really enjoyed uh, listening to Patrick preach and being in this series with you guys, Word of Life, and just what does Jesus say? Uh, that the things he says are true and that he is good. And um, I don't, I, I'm learning you guys, of course, and you're learning me, and so this is like a little bit of a dance, right? We're trying to figure out like, okay, well, you know, I just stand at court and I said, some of my jokes fell flat last week, and I gotta figure out why that was, and you know, what's wrong with those people, uh, because it's certainly not me. And trying to settle into a passage, um, I had to kind of go back into stuff that we, I, had, I had preached before, stuff I was familiar with, but thinking, uh, where have I fallen? Where have I fallen short in my understanding of Jesus, even as of late? Um, and as if there's just one area. And so I wanted us to be in a passage, and I want to tell two stories together in the Gospel of Mark that we don't often connect because our Bible usually breaks them out, like there's one paragraph with a title and there's another one. But I think the way that Mark was writing these two stories together as he was uh, pitting his gospel into the power of the Holy Spirit is that he was trying to teach us something about Jesus and being disciples and following after him that we need to remember. Um, it's kind of easy to preach uh, the gospel stories just kind of in isolation. But Mark was trying to communicate something even, even in how the Spirit was using him to use this story in this place at this time in Mark 6. Uh, and like I said last week, I'll be uh, reading from the CSB because that's what we're reading as a family and my other Bibles in storage. So, um, so if you're unfamiliar with the language a little bit, we'll be all right. I think you'll get it. Um, you're, you, you're big kids, um, so we'll be good there. Uh, but we'll be in Mark 6. It's a longer passage. Um, I'm going to be reading it to you. Uh, but there's going to be a couple of times that we're going to stop and we're going to highlight a few things. But I just want you to know what we've gotten into. Heading into Mark 6, especially the back half where we'll be, John the Baptist has been beheaded, which is just great news for disciples, right? So John the Baptist has been beheaded, and Jesus has sent out his disciples to go do ministry. So Jesus has sent out his disciples. Meanwhile, kind of the forerunner of Jesus, John the Baptist, has been executed for his faith in Jesus, which is just good news for us, like I said, because if you follow Jesus, it is a mission unto death. And, it, and, and we will lose our lives for Jesus in whatever way we lose them. It is, it is promised and assured that whatever we do and in whatever way we lose our lives for Jesus. John lost his head for Jesus. And the disciples who are coming back are a little tired and Jesus wants to take them aside. And so if you're in Mark uh, chapter six, uh, really just starting in 30 to help you kind of get into it, the apostles gathered around Jesus and they reported to him all that he had done and taught and he said to them, hey, come away by yourselves to a remote place and let's just rest. You ever wanna do that? Let's just get away. It's been long, been tiring. Let's just rest for a little while. Many people were coming and going, and the disciples and Jesus, they didn't even have time to eat. And you don't want hangry Jesus, you don't want hangry Peter. And so you know we have to be in a spot uh, where we just get some time. And these guys, I mean, if you've ever come back from a mission trip of any kind, uh, or any time where you're just intensely serving the Lord for a unique period of time, when you come back, don't you kinda wanna talk about it? 
You want to talk about what happened. You want to say, well, what did you see and what did you do? It's just, it's just a natural part of what we do when we take these kind of punctuated moments in life and go all into something for some reason, even if it's just for a night or for a weekend or for camp or whatever it is. And so the disciples have done this and now Jesus and the disciples are going to go and they're going to talk about it and they're going to rest and they're going to process because you kind of have to process what you experience to learn from it, don't you? And so they want to know what's going on and they have Jesus to help them. And so, smartly, verse 32, they went away in the boat by themselves to a remote place. But, you know, verse 33, but many saw them leaving, recognized them, and they ran on foot to all the towns and arrived ahead of them. So they went ashore. A large crowd was there. And what did Jesus do? He had, what's that word? Compassion. He had compassion on them, for they were like, sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. If I were a disciple at that moment, I would be frustrated with Jesus, uh, because I want Jesus to give me his exclusive attention. I want Jesus to stop and, and, and give me just undivided, you're the one I care about, Hans, you're the one I'm interested in, nobody else. That's kind of what we want, and that's how we feel, right? That's why we kind of go, oh, I'm gonna have, I need my time with the Lord, I need it. And then so the disciples are about to get that, FaceTime with Jesus after a journey of ministering in his name. And everyone shows up, and Jesus has compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd in 634. And he began to teach them many things. I just wanna stop even right there, uh, because we're gonna to get to the second story here in a moment, but Jesus is our shepherd. Jesus is our shepherd, and if you read in Ezekiel, and if you read in Jeremiah, you see God condemn the bad shepherds of Israel for their bad leadership, and he promises to them, I will be your shepherd. I'm gonna send you a shepherd, the right shepherd, the right person, and then you see Jesus in that moment when the disciples were spent and they wanted to do nothing, Jesus has compassion on them and sees that they need care and begins to teach them many things. Jesus is our shepherd. I've said, I think every opportunity I've, I've been able to talk to you guys, I've been able to talk about just my, how impressed I am with your elders. Um, and uh, both the elders you have, the elders in training, and how deeply they care about you and what's going on in your life, how much they pray for you and want uh, God's best for you, which is gonna far exceed any hopes that they themselves have for you. And they want so badly for you to know, and we want so badly for you to know that most important person in your life is Jesus and we will fall short of shepherding you as we should, though we will do everything we possibly can to give you the care and the discipleship and the love and the compassion that we can, but we cannot do what Jesus did in that moment and take people in who need to be taken in because they have no one else. We, the church, are the community of those people upon whom Jesus has had compassion because we were wandering. Isaiah 53, we all went away astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way. Jesus has compassion on us. Jesus is our shepherd. So he teaches them. And when it grew late, his disciples approached, and they were like, hey, this place is nothing around. It's already late. Send them away so that we can go into the countryside and villages to buy them, so they can buy themselves something to eat. 
you know, Jesus, verse 37, hey, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. They said, should we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? Like, can we, should we spend all of this money to give them something to eat? How on earth are we gonna do that? Well, again, this is us and Jesus, isn't it? Jesus gives us a task, and then we automatically kind of go to our Excel spreadsheet and figure out if we can do the task. So they're like, you know, I'm just, I'm looking here, and if you look at column A, and you look at row one, this is not gonna work out. We don't have enough money, we don't have enough time, we don't have enough things, there are no stores nearby, we can't just go to McDonald's, there's no dollar menu, there is nothing that we can do. These people need to go eat, and we cannot handle it. But natural solutions, Natural solutions are not what Jesus is looking for in the life with a disciple. You know, I, I like the movie Patch Adams, and if you remember the guy, Patch Adams, and uh, kind of walking around, the author, and he's like, how many fingers am I holding up, right? And he's like, four, four, he's getting so mad. Four, four, he's like, no, you have to look past the problem. And he kind of makes his eyes blurry, and then they double up, and now he's like, eight. He's like, yeah, and he gets so happy because he's in an insane asylum. and. I think though, we look at what Jesus has for us to do, even the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations, and we break it down, don't we? Okay, well go means, and this means, and that means, and so we're just gonna go ahead and put that into our spreadsheet and kinda knock it out for you, Lord, we got this, okay, we're good. Like pins on a map, and we're gonna go ahead and figure it out. But Jesus is generally not asking for us to look at natural ways to solve the problems that exist in our lives and in this world. So when Jesus says, you give them something to eat, the disciples here open up your pocketbook and figure it out. He wants them to remember who he is and remember what he does and remember how they are to live in light of that. You give them something to eat. Verse 38, he asked them, okay, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And they found out, what, five loaves, two fish. So everyone's sitting down. And then what does he do? If you're familiar with this story, you know he takes the five loaves, he takes the two fish, he looks up to heaven, he prays, and then the disciples just start handing it out. And it doesn't ever stop. They're just handing it out, handing out bread, handing out fish, and everyone is eating. Verse 42, in stark contrast to what the disciples were thinking in verse 37, in verse 42 of chapter six, we read this, everyone ate and was satisfied. They picked up 12 baskets full of pieces of bread and fish. So they moved from the food that they had in their lunch pail to 12 basketfuls of bread and fish beyond what they had when they began and everybody ate. And Mark is doing something as he's about to flip to the next story, but I want to stop again for a moment and just, just remind ourselves of this. Jesus provides much more than this world can, can ever provide for us. He provides for us beyond anything that can be provided. He has power over the natural world. He created the natural world. 
He's like, God, Jesus, I don't know if you can do that. He's like, okay, so the bread that you're eating and the fish you're eating, that's me. I did that. If you don't think that someone who can make something out of nothing can multiply the something that already exists, then we're missing it. And this is hard for me. I love spreadsheets. Some of you do too. I mean, I thought Baton Rouge was the engineering world, but you guys are engineers too. I can't escape engineers. I was trying. And I love my engineer friends because they have a way of letting me know what is and isn't possible in a natural sense. They go, I don't think we can do that. And you can show me how it's supposed to work. And God has ordered a natural world to work in a certain way, hasn't he? There are things that are supposed to happen. There's things that aren't. There's ways in which it happens. So my brother-in-law, hopefully he doesn't watch this or listen to this. He probably won't. He's a meteorologist, but not the, not the meteorologist that is uh, on TV. He's a meteorologist that works for other companies. And so he's kind of the family, uh, just, we just ask him questions. Hey, how's the weather going to be? I have a weather app on my phone. It's going to tell me if it's sunny or not. But I love knowing I love knowing from him because he has this expert, more so than my phone is the expert, he's able to tell me, no, this isn't a big deal, this is a big deal, I don't, I don't, you know, you don't need to worry about this, it's gonna rain a ton, whatever it is. It generally lines up with what you see on TV, but I just like knowing, I have it in the family, so just a text away, hey, what's the weather like? In whatever city I'm in, I ask. It's awesome, because he knows how this natural world generally works. He knows how pieces are supposed to fit together, and he knows low-pressure systems, and what's going on over here, and what's going on over there, and how it's supposed to affect something right over here in Spring, Texas. He sees it. I don't see it, but he does. God made this world in such a way that people who are like, you know what I want to study? Clouds. Clouds and low pressure. God's like, I have a career for you because I've made this world in this way. But we as believers kind of get lulled to sleep by the way the world works, and we forget that Jesus is above this world doing more in this world and through this world than we could ever imagine. The disciples were abundantly provided for at the end of feeding everybody. It makes me ask this question both to myself and for us, but what are we concerned about? What are we concerned about in the first place with a life that is driven by faith? What should we be worried about? What is the most significant thing that should bother us? And the answer is very little. Very little. But I don't often pray to the Lord knowing that he has this kind of power. Do you? expecting this kind of power. And you hear James, if anyone, if anyone uh, has and needs something, he should ask God, but when he asks, he should believe and not doubt. For he who doubts is like a wave at sea, blown and tossed by the wind. Such man should not expect to hear anything from God, because he's a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. And I hear that, and I'm like, oh, that's me. I wish it weren't. Like, I want full on, this is Jesus, I know what he can do, I know what he is capable of in any situation, but even if you see it front and center, up close, personal, you have access to this and you've seen it, we still forget. 
and we know that because of what happens in the next story. And like I said, usually we separate these two stories out, but they're coming together. So after this, in verse 45, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. So now the disciples are going out across the boat. He goes, he's like, see you guys, I don't know what they're doing, maybe like we are, they sing the doxology and they move on, but there's no doxology then, but I don't know how he's dismissing them, like, hey, see you guys later, have a good night, you know, whatever he's doing, he sends the disciples off, because he knows what's about to happen. He sends the disciples out, he sends the people away, and then he himself, he himself goes to pray. So after he said goodbye to them, he went to the mountain to pray, and well into the night, the boat was in the middle of the sea, he was on the land, and this is what he sees. And I think it's just crazy that he sees us like Jesus with eagle eyes. And he saw them in the middle of the night. He saw them straining at the oars. Okay, there, there, there are no lights in the middle of the sea, in the middle of the night. And yet there's Jesus praying. He's like, oh, yeah, they're the disciples. And he just knows. He knows. And sometimes I read that and I'm just like, oh yeah, well of course, of course. I mean, he saw them because he's there and they're there. He cannot see them, but he knows what's going on with them because he is their creator. Jesus, always omnipresent. He's aware. Jesus, always all-powerful. Always. And he sees them and he knows what's going on, so of course, what does he think to do? I like to think he was wanting to joke, but... He sees them and, they were, and while he was alone on the land, he saw them straining and the wind was against them. Very early in the morning, he came toward them walking on the sea and he wanted to pass by them. I don't know why that detail's in there. Like, and Jesus, really, what Jesus wanted to do is just walk on by on the water unnoticed because that's what people do, just walk on water. And so yeah, oh yeah, I'm just gonna go ahead and walk by them. Well, of course, that's not gonna work out too well. So the disciples see him, as I would hope they would. They see this person walking by, and you know it's now early in the morning, so perhaps the sun is coming up, and they're able to now see better than they had in the past, and saw him in the walking by the sea, and they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out. They saw him and were terrified, and that would make sense if you didn't know who Jesus was. But shouldn't the disciples know who Jesus is? Shouldn't they be aware of what Jesus has power over? Shouldn't they, of all people, have seen Jesus walking on the water and gone, of course, of course, this is just the thing he does. We don't get it, but this is him. He is Jesus. He is different than all of us, and yet he is like us. But instead, they think he's a ghost, and they cry out because they saw him and were terrified. And he does what he does, just like he did with the people with the loaves. When he saw them, he had compassion on them, and when he sees the disciples freaking out, what does he do but say, have courage, it's me. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And I love the ending, verse 51 and verse 52. He got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. And they were completely astounded. And this is the part that we need to know how these stories connect. Because they had not understood about the loaves. Instead, their hearts were hardened. 
And so when Jesus, again, shows power over the natural world, when there's a storm and he walks on water and they see him and they freak out, and he says, don't worry, and he gets in the boat and the storm stops, and they're astounded. And, and this isn't the kind of astounding where you just have awe, right? Like, that was, am- that was amazing. And it, it moves you toward worship. This is the kind of astounded that you should be embarrassed about because look at how Mark finishes it out. They had not understood about the loaves. Instead, their hearts were hardened. What Jesus shows them with the loaves when he feeds the thousands What Jesus shows them in that moment is, you might think that there is a solution in an earthly sense, but what I am asking you to do and be a part of and how I'm asking you to provide and how I'm asking you to serve, you cannot come up with a natural way to do this. I need you to think about who I am and what I can do and how I serve and and everything else about me, not about this world. Close up Excel and trust me to get done the things that I ask you to do. Let me empower you, let me move, let me act. And they see Jesus again, and he stops the sea, walks on water, gets in the boat, they freak out because their hearts were hardened. They had forgotten the lesson that he just taught. This is why this is why when, when people are like, man, I, you know, God, just, you know, if you only moved in this kind of power, then I would, those little if-then statements where you make a deal with God about what you want to see him do and what you'll do, that's this is why they don't work. They don't work because you could see him do it and still try to figure out how. It's like when people take uh, in, in Exodus and they try to figure out how the plagues happened oh yeah, well, if you move this here and you move that there and there was a weather pattern that caused this thing and then the frogs were crazy and it wasn't really blood, it was just this red coloring that shows up. When you start to explain away the miraculous, you strip away God. He doesn't want you to try to explain away the things that only he can do. He just wants you to know that he can do them and have faith in him and trust him and count on him to do those things. So when we make these deals, and we go, God, yeah, I'll do this if you do that, it just doesn't work, why? Because our hearts are hardened. And the thing that's crazy is we might think that front row access in the boat is the thing that would change it, but what has Jesus given us that is even better than what the disciples had in this moment but his Holy Spirit? We have the Holy Spirit of God residing with all who have faith in Jesus and still we're like, I don't think you can do it. And he's like, I, I, I converted you. You moved from death to life by me and you don't think that I can do that. You don't think that you can be changed, be transformed. You don't think that I can provide in ways that you cannot ever expect. You're like, well, you know, if you could just do a little more, God. If you could just provide a little more. Maybe if you just showed a little more power. Maybe if you just showed a little more of the miraculous, and I just have to stop as an aside and talk about the miraculous, because I think we use that term way too often. I mean, I like the movie Miracle 2 about the hockey team. But we take things that we should worship God for, 
those things that just exist in this world. God has ordered this world to work in certain ways, and those ways are beautiful. They are awe-inspiring. They should bring about in us worship, and yet we diminish it and call it, that's that's miraculous. I'm like, no, in fact, oh, you think that's cool? Just wait. That's easy. I can, yeah, that, that's just how the world works. I created the world to work that way. Watch me do this. Something that you could never see done, watch me do that. But we dismiss it, and sometimes we, I might get in trouble for saying that because we'll call all kinds of things miracles that we really just mean are amazing. They're amazing. Um, we have, you know, we have a kid who was in the hospital day one. Needed surgery day two. Like 24 hours old, cut open, having surgery. I'm grateful to the doctors, a surgeon who knows I can do that. I can do that. That God has gifted men and women with skills and training to do things. But it's not as if the thing that needed to happen just inside of his stomach went, we're we're good now. It needed to be intervened in. And I might want to go, that's a miracle, but that's how God made my son's body with a surgeon trained. What I want to do is go, God, thank you so much. Thank you for putting us here in this place and this time with that. You have moved all of these pieces together, but I don't want to diminish your power. You can do so much more. You heal, you transform, you change. When you go outside of the way that this world works and the way that things are created and you show me that, wow. And so I want to be in awe, incredibly in awe of everything that happens in this world. And know that when I see those things, it's almost as if God is just, just getting started. I can do that, I can do so much more. Can do so much more. But here's the thing hardened hearts don't recognize Jesus' power, even after he's shown it. Hardened hearts don't see it. They don't worship him for it. They don't respond to it. They don't delight in it. They don't talk about it with others. They go, I don't know. I must have been seeing. I don't, I don't know what that is. I don't know how he could do that. Even after he has shown his power, if our hearts are hardened, we do not recognize it. We don't see it. And that is what Mark says to us there in verse 52. They had not understood about the loaves. Instead, their hearts were hardened. And that is a place where I get often. Where I just get lulled to sleep by the way the world works. And I assume that this is just whatever is going to be. And I almost, in a sense, maybe you do too, I just get a little fatalistic about it. Well, this is it. This is, this is life. This is how it works. God is doing his thing, but if he wanted to intervene, he would have by now. And I've diminished my view of his power. I've diminished my view of how he wants to glorify himself through even us as a church. I've reduced it to nothing because my heart has been hardened. 
It's why it's so important for us to gather together and remember and say and take communion and sing and hear the word to remind ourselves of God's power, to remind ourselves of God's goodness, his grace and his mercy, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus, these things that the world could not duplicate but our God can because he is greater than the world. And so I have a couple of questions for us as I think about just this passage and the conviction it brings to me because I do, I settle in, don't I? I, I if you know me, I kind of go, this is, this, this is the thing, I don't know what's going on. And I have prayer warriors in my life who have, who have it, the faith that is, seems gigantic. It's probably just mustard seed size, but to me I'm like one-eighth of a mustard seed on a good day. And so I talk to people regularly in my life just asking them to pray things because when they pray, it's, they, they really do believe God is going to do it. They believe that God is going to move and I, in my hardened heart, often forget. So sometimes the best that I can do is ask somebody who I know is gonna believe that and kind of carry me for a while because I've lost it again. So I have people in my life, but a question I thought of is, have perhaps you missed Jesus while looking for your own savior? You see what the disciples do? I mean, Jesus is walking, walking by him. He's just gonna go on by. They don't know who it is because they were looking for the wind to stop in a different way. They were looking for their situation to change in a different way. And so have you missed him by looking for your own savior? Maybe, maybe different than that, but important for us is have you diminished his power? I think every follower of Christ diminishes his power. We do not think that he can do the things that he says he will do. We start to doubt and our hearts become hardened. An example that I think of, in every instance you can call conversion a miracle. We can't do it. I cannot make myself saved. I cannot will myself to salvation. It must take God intervening into my life. The conviction of the Spirit. I can't say, okay, Spirit, convict me now. I'm ready. I'm ready. The Spirit moves where and how and when the Spirit wills. Every conversion is miraculous because it is God doing something that only God can do. The world's not gonna work that way. And yet, don't you and I sometimes think, I don't think that person's ever gonna get saved. I, I just, there's not a chance. And I listen to stories, uh, even of uh, like uh, missionaries, early missionaries in the Protestant movement, and they're writing letters home, and they say things like, you have no idea how difficult it is to try and talk to these people about God. And they haven't given up, but they're struggling. This is, this is difficult. I don't know how they're gonna come to faith. You might have family members that you have been praying for for 10 and 15 and 20 and 30 years, and you're just going, God, okay, if you haven't done it yet, it just must not be in your plan. Clearly, you are not gonna do it. And we have forgotten the power of God and the confidence of how he can move and how that should change us. Even me, and this is, a, this is a, a more freaky one for me because I am, again, a spreadsheet guy. 
But when I ask the Lord to physically heal or change somebody, I mean, maybe your prayers are super holy, but mine are often like, we kind of surround our prayers with all of the hedging we possibly can. God, if you could, uh, if you could do this, if you could heal this person, we ask you to do it, but we, we ask you to do really whatever you want in that situation, but just do your will, but if you want to heal it, just go ahead and heal it, but we know, God, that really, you've already healed us in your son, Jesus, and so more than anything else, just, just heal them and heal them in their salvation, because we don't, and we just keep going and going and going to be sure that whatever happens is an answered prayer. Just whatever, like, like, like we, don't, we don't know how you're gonna move or what you're gonna do, and we don't really think you're gonna move in this way, but it's important for us to say it, to pray it, but we're gonna go ahead and just surround our prayers with all of the bubble wrap that we can. And so something that I try in my own life to do and would encourage you guys to do as well is to go, is to pray the requests that you desire and you think you, you see God wanting to do. Pray them, long for them, hope for them, but season it in the same way that Jesus did in Gethsemane. But not what I want, God, what you want. But don't surround it with all these other things. If you want to see God move in a way that only God can move, then ask that of him. Ask him to do things. Ask of him these things. He longs for it. Because he has that kind of power and we're exercising faith and it is so hard for us, especially in our Western mindset, to think that God can do anything just kind of outside of how we would expect the world to work. But when we diminish the power that God has in this world and over this world, then we're on the way towards hardened hearts. When we forget the witness of scripture and how it declares the glory and goodness of Jesus to us, when we forget how the scriptures display him in every way as powerful, as a provider, as satisfying. Everyone ate and was satisfied, and there are 12 baskets left over. He's like, I'm not just gonna give you what you need right here. I'm gonna give you more than you think I would ever give. I'm gonna intervene into this situation in ways that you have not expected, ways that you do not expect. Now this is all, I mean we must say it's always assuming that we are living in accordance with his will. You know, it's like, hey God, if you could just make my car fly right now, that'd be awesome. And I struggle with this with my kids because my kids want to pray for things like, pray that we become invisible. And I'm like, and I do, I do. I'm like, I if you wanna, God, if you wanna make my kids invisible, go for it. But you, you, know, you and me, God, we know really what's going on, but they, you know, they don't. They have these prayers, and what I, like, it's hard for me as a parent, because I don't want to, I don't want to show them, well, that's, a, that's stupid. <laughs> that's not, that's not how God works. And so I do, I want to foster in them a view, God is powerful over anything. And if at four, year old, four years old, you want to pray that you're invisible, 
Let's go after it. Let's go after it. And then, you know, maybe I'm going to get to heaven, and God's going to be like, you know, Hans, you did some pretty cool things, but <laughs> teaching your kids that I could make them invisible, that's not the most. I'm going to be like, well, Jesus slipped out of some crowds, like, without, even after they wanted to kill him without anybody knowing. So I figured it was doable. But we forget and we diminish. And so this is a challenge that I have for us. And this is just, this is something I would love to grow in myself. And I want us to grow in together. But it's just this. Might you ask the Lord today and ask him throughout the week to show his power and to do what only he can do. What only he can do. I mean, sometimes my prayers are like, God, I pray I have a good day today. I pray it's, you know, and, and I'm like, I'm, who am I talking to? I don't expect God to move in power. And so I have these impotent prayers that don't require him to move in power. I don't look for him to move. We kind of gather here. I remember it was my first or second Sunday and Patrick's like, just, tur- just forget you're here and there's going to be a sermon. And he kind of had to pull us out of the moment, right? Remember, you know, Jesus prayed for you. Where perhaps do we need to repent of diminishing the power of God and the expectation that we have on him and the way that we want to see him move and only things that he can do? And for me, part of that is is conversion. To see God change people's hearts. I can't do that. I cannot do that. God's power over the natural world. I do not pray those prayers. I'm afraid to. What if he does it? Now I'm on the hook. And so I'm like, God, could you please give us good medicine? I'm grateful for good medicine. But I almost have this, this, this little bit of concern. Like, what if I actually step out there and ask him to move? I mean, he's not a genie. He's not like, oh, well, Han said it, thus I must do it. But I don't even often grant him the ability, the power. Because I have fallen asleep looking at the way things work. And so I would love for us to join together this week and do that. What are the things? Be it someone's conversion. Maybe it is uh, God just intervening in something that's going on in the physical world that you, you need to see him change. Healing brought to an illness. Something that is transformed. Do we expect it of him or do we resonate more with Mark 6.52 because they had not understood about the loaves instead Their hearts were hardened. And so I'd like to take a moment and pray for us that one, we wouldn't be that, and also offer us a moment just to ask the Lord of things. See him move in power. So let us do that together. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, you sent your son into this world and he moved in power and we read it, but we forget it.
He fed 5,000 and they were satisfied. He multiplied fish and loaves. He calmed seas. He walked on water. And yet we forget what you teach us and what you show us. Because, Lord, so often our hearts are hardened. Pray, Lord, that you break us of our self-sufficiency and our mindset that assumes that this world works in only a certain way and fill us with a vision of Jesus who can do much more than we could ever anticipate happening in this world. I ask you guys, us together in the congregation, just to take a moment and lift up just where you are, just silently, some, ask of the Lord something that only he can do. Conversion, healing, to move power. Ask him that now. Lord, will you help our unbelief and grow our faith to see your son Jesus as the one who has power over everything. Our lives, our families, our jobs, this world, our health, all of it. Forgive us, God, that we do not pursue you and believe that you are who you are so often. And thank you for your grace to us. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.